0: Amen. Let's have a seat. I'm sorry if you are expecting Joel speaking this morning, like it said on the notice sheet. I'm afraid, um, don't, I know I don't look like him, and I've put on a couple of pounds and grown a couple of inches and got rid of that um, speech impediment, or Welsh accent, as he calls it. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Trust you'll bear with me, Miss Lawley, for not being Joel, never mind. And before I start, I do would like to put another plug in for the turning, if you are able to get along tonight to City Church at 7 o'clock, please, please do so. It's perhaps one of the most significant spiritual events that's happened in our city for a good number of years, and uh, we're praying that it, we will see many, many people come to know Lord Jesus through it. And you, um, if you're going to be free on a morning over the next fortnight and have the courage to go out on the streets and talk to people about Jesus, then please, please do that too. Um, I say it, it, there, there's sort of re- registration process around it. They don't just want anybody turning up, but basically what it boils down to is just churches being in control of, uh, of um, the evangelism event and not just anybody joining in and messing it up. So uh, that's all that's involved. But come along tonight and you'll find out more. I think uh, I got a text from Sam, Sam Douthwaite, who's one of the um, guys on the committee that's just making things happen, um, who was here last week. And he said 237 people have signed up so far to take part. In the evangelism team, which is fantastic. So uh, that's going up every day. So please, please do join in if you're able. Um, Victoria and I'll be going along on the second week. We can't do that timetable won't allow this week, but on the second week we're going to be doing it. So uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of you there too. Anyway, so let's start by looking at our passage this morning. It's very short, like Joel. So we can <laughs> see, so we can see it up on the screen together. So I'm not going to, uh, you, know, you, you know, you've got to do these things. If you want to comment to a church, you've got to put up with uh, being ribbed by. Anyway, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 to 28. The last, I feel quite privileged actually to be finishing off what's been an excellent series. We've had some wonderful teaching, book of 1 Thessalonians. not a book I'd studied much before, I'd read it, but not really studied it in detail. And I've learnt a lot, so I pray I don't mess it up at the end. Verse 23 of chapter 5. May God himself, ooh, is the clicker working? Oh no, can you hit the clicker mark, thanks. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss, And I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Last week we heard a wonderful testimony, a wonderful story, a wonderful account from Sam, uh, who told us about a miraculous healing and conversion that had happened at Gateway Church, just in Elsdick, down the road there. And it was wonderful, it's absolutely fantastic to hear and be encouraged by these kind of stories that remind us that God is still present and he's willing to intervene miraculously and hugely in everybody's everyday life. The thought thought occurred to me, you know, I'd love to witness, I've never witnessed a miraculous healing. I've I've met people to whom it's happened and I've met people through whom it's happened but I've never witnessed one myself and I'd love to. But the thought occurred to me that that, uh, there are miracles all around if we only had eyes to see them. And our problem, perhaps, is that we look for outward spectacular results when God's work, like a tiny mustard seed, begins in a hidden place right inside the human heart. And as wonderful as reports of healing, physical healing, are, and we know that God heals in answer to prayer today, the most important miracle is that transformation of a sinner into a saint by His grace. And that can begin in an instant and it can take more than a lifetime to achieve. And if you've been a believer for any length of time you'll know about the work that goes on inside your life. Theologians have a word for it. They call it sanctification. It's the work God does inside the human heart the heart of a believer to make him into a brand new person more like Jesus. So let's look at five fast facts about sanctification. Five things we need to know about sanctification. I like Buzzfeed lists, I like, so here's a clickbait list for this morning. First thing, oop, that didn't work right. Ah, okay. So we're not gonna get the lists pop up, that could be difficult. Yeah, if you could close Zineworks down, Mark, and just run the PowerPoint separately, We'll go through this list and then if you could do that because there's a bit later on where I do need my lists. I didn't know that wasn't going to work. Okay. Thinking on the feet. First thing on the list, it's the work of God. Second thing on the list, it's a lifetime process. It's never complete in this life, thirdly. Fourth, it won't stop until the job's finished. And finally, God uses everything that happens to us the good things and the bad things to make us more like Jesus in OneDrive, read your (laughs) PowerPoints to do tech support from the front. It's quite a new thing, a novelty. Never mind, I'll have a drink. (laughs) That really brings us to our passage today. The last few versions of verses of 1 Thessalonians that we've just read. The verses from a benediction, Paul prays for God's blessing on his readers. The people of the Church of Thessalonica Thessalonica, who are going to be um, listening to this letter. Most of Paul's letters end similarly with a benediction, a short prayer, and there's a reason for that. Teaching's over, the exhortation's done, the message has been given and then you have this closing prayer, like a, we have a closing prayer often in a worship service. It's a reminder of just who is important in all of this. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Paul's saying this. He's saying, I've told you how to live, but only God can make your efforts successful. Okay. <laughs> Anyone's cleared in PowerPoint, pop over and help Mark. <laughs> It'll have to go on the extended screen. Ooh. This prayer for sanctification is a prayer that God will always answer. It rests on one fundamental truth all human effort, no matter how valiant, no matter how strong, how powerful, all human effort is unsuccessful ultimately if God doesn't help. Now we, the elders here at Regent, we believe fervently and strongly in Bible teaching and we struggle hard to make sure we follow correct biblical doctrine in running this church. But all of our teaching, all of the doctrine is in vain unless God supernaturally, by his sovereign power, plants the truth in our hearts. So we have the importance of this closing prayer you could paraphrase it this way. Lord, I've done all I can. Taught these people everything I know. Lord, you've got to take over now. Unless you help them through, it'll be a failure and they won't change. <laughs> I didn't think it was as hard as that, never mind. That leads me to a layman's definition of sanctification. It's everything God does in our life make sure we turn out right. Sanctification is a long word, but it's not a strange, fantastical, emotional experience. Look at this way. If you invest in someone's life, you care how they turn out. That's why parents care so much about their children and what they're doing with their lives. Believe me, two teenagers, one of them about to turn 18 on Friday, I know about three teenagers, sorry. Sorry, Toby. (laughs) Three. They keep keep getting older every year. It's just, you just can't keep track. Three teenagers. I know about how that feels. And I know how it feels when I'm going to get in the car and get, oh, that's good. Getting there. Really that'll do. As a parent, you've, Given your lifeblood, and it matters more than life itself how your children turn out. And apply that straight same truth in, in the spiritual realm. God has invested in the death of His only begotten Son. And sanctification, His work in our lives, is the divine guarantee that that investment isn't going to be wasted. It's the assurance that God finishes what He's begun. What he began on the cross with Jesus, he'll end in our lives. Paul said it this way in Philippians, verse chapter 1. Ooh. There we go. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He began a good work the moment you came to Christ the moment you believed in him and he continues to this day he continues it day by day and he bring it to completion on the day we see Jesus face to face and not before when i was a young man when i was fresh out of university i took a year out and worked with a missionary organization based in wales and while i was there a godly man spoke out into my life a verse that stayed with me for the last quarter of a century Proverbs 21, verse 31. The horse is prepared for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. We do all we can. We work our best for God, but it's God who makes the deciding contribution. It's God who finishes the work. We give our best to God, but we don't rely on our best. We rely on God himself. Sanctification is God's commitment to us. We're going to make it. He'll personally see to it. (laughs) FW-MY. <laughs> we're not finished yet. Do you remember badges and T-shirts with this on if they were popular a few years ago? Sort of fashionable at Spring Harvest and places like that. Any guesses? Anyone remember what they stood for? Bob? Excellent, fantastic. Spot on the button. If I had a cream egg, I'd love it in your direction. That statement, please be patient, God's not finished with me yet is absolutely biblical. We're not finished yet, and that's why we pray, and why we seek the Lord. Someday we'll be finished. That's what sanctification means. Paul's little prayer at the end of 1 Thessalonians is really a short course in sanctification. In these two verses, the first two verses, 23 and 24, we have seven Ps. I like the Ps. We've got the person, the purpose, the prospect, the position, the point, the promise, and the performance. I love peace. Favourite vegetable. Firstly, the person. God himself, the God of peace, it starts out with. In this opening phrase, we have a guarantee of our sanctification. Of our, In legal terms, God is the guarantor, the one who stands behind the promise. We've just sung about that. The one who makes it all. Just as any contract's only worth the integrity on the name of the paper, at the bottom of this sign on the signature. Our hope of sanctification is only as good as the person who stands behind it. If you go for a loan or a mortgage and you haven't got a reliable income, the bank will ask for a guarantor, someone with a bigger income or some assets or a more reliable income who's prepared to say they'll guarantee to pay if you can't make it yourself. The bank knows it's safe to lend to you Because if you lose your job or whatever, then the guarantor will step up and make up the debt in your place. The loan's certain if the guarantor's certain. And in this case, our sanctification is certain because Paul uses this emphatic Greek construct in his work to drive the point home. God. God himself. God himself, the God of peace. We taught Greek at my school, you could do Greek O-level. Sadly, I wasn't clever enough myself to get to do it. I had to make do with German. And I wasn't even very good at that. But I was told that a Greek sentence structure isn't like English. It's a bit more movable around. We have sort of a fairly rigid order and if you make the words in a different order, it means something completely different or nothing at all. But that's not the same in Greek. In ancient Greek, if you change the order of the words in the sentence, you change the emphasis of what is important about what you're trying to say. What's important in a Greek sentence, an ancient Greek sentence, apparently comes first. And here Paul does that. He structures his sentence to make it clear what is really, really important in the phrase that he's saying is God. Here's the truth. Only God can make you better. Think about that for a minute. Exercise improves your body. Therapy may help your soul. Friends will lift your spirit. Good fortune may improve your circumstances, but only God can make you a better you. God is the author and source of all spiritual progress. It's impossible to overstate the importance of this fundamental truth. Scottish theologian, Professor James Denny, over 100 years ago wrote this. How many have tried to work off a vicious temper to break for good with an evil habit And some other direction to sanctify themselves and keep out of god's sight until the work is done in our battle against sin we crawl into a corner often and we try and get better on our own and after a while we stand up and say see how nice i look and i did this all by myself and from god comes this reply without me you can do nothing all your righteousness is like filthy rags in contrast to all of our feeble efforts at moral betterment Self-improvement. Paul simply says, God himself, the God of peace. It starts with God, and if it doesn't start there, you haven't really started at all. Second P, the purpose. Sanctify you through and through. Every word here is important. I've already said sanctification is everything. God does. Sanctification is everything God does to make sure you and I will turn out right in the end. Biblically, the term just means to make holy. It's from the root word sanctus. It's a, it means holy, saintly. It's the same word we get saint from. It just means set apart for God's service. Made pure and useful for God's purpose. The little phrase through and through actually translates to another two-part Greek word. One part means whole, and the other means complete. Through and through, whole and complete, or at the end the idea of being wholly sanctified at the end. You'll be complete, nothing missing, perfect. God's ordained his children, every single one of them without exception will be made complete in the end. We're not that way now. Most of us feel fragmented and torn in a thousand directions. We're incomplete, we're under construction in this life. God's not finished with me yet. But God intends when we finally get to heaven The tools and the donkey jacket and the high-vis vests will be put away and we will stand before the Lord with every part perfectly in place, every aspect of our life life made perfect. Sanctification is a process leading to a product. We grow little by little. We progress day by day. It's not very fast, but the Lord's not in a hurry. He takes his time because he's a master craftsman. Perhaps you've heard the term, good enough for government work bit of an Americanism. It's a derisive way of saying don't worry about the details. The joints don't have to fit. The margins can be crooked. We don't need to worry about the budget. We don't have to be perfect. We don't even have to be close to perfect. Just get it done. Let's be clear. God doesn't do a shoddy job. Everything he does is perfect. Many of us feel like our lives right now are a bit of a mess. We're government work. We're shoddy. We look inside, we see lots of good and bad mixed together, a whole bunch of loose connections and a lot of parts that don't seem to work right. That's the way it is in a fallen world. We're stuck with what seems to be a half-finished job. But it won't be that way forever. God's promised in the end we'll be sanctified through and through. We're not finished yet, but we will be. We're not completely clean today, but we will be. We're not wholly wise today, but we will be. We're not totally redeemed right now, but we will be. We're not always useful to God, but we will be. 350 years ago, Calvin used a picturesque expression. He said, God intends the entire renovation of the man. I live in a house, not that one. It's over 100 years old. We moved into it 20 years ago. There was a sink unit propped up on a pickaxe handle in the kitchen, and that was it. I can tell you, after a few years, I got so sick of DIY. You never get the job finished. You work on the roof, and then you start on the living room, and then the kitchen, and then the bedrooms, each of them. And You'll have trouble with the plumbing, and then the electrics, more than once. Eventually, you've got to replace the floors, replace the skirting boards, install another new boiler. The job's never done. You can work on a house for 20 years and still not be finished. There's always something to do. And if you think houses are hard, try renovating a human life. It's a job so tough, only God would attempt it. We don't take 20 years. We take a lifetime, and the job's still not done. God just eventually says to some people, I've done all that can be done down here. Come up with me, and I'll finish the job where the working conditions are better. Today, we are holy in part. When God is finished with us, we'll be holy through and through. So we come to the third P, the whole spirit, soul, and body, the prospect. Paul's telling us the extent of sanctification. God intends to renovate the whole man in all of his parts. Nothing will be left out and overlooked. Every part will be made perfect in the end. He mentions three parts in this phrase. Just briefly look at them. Firstly, the body. We don't debate this one because we all have a body. Simple fact is, you have a body, good or bad, doesn't make a difference. It's, not mo- it's morally neutral. It's what you do with that body that makes a difference. Everything you do is either a consecration or a prostitution of that body. There's only two options. Consecration, prostitution. You know, instinctively, whether or not your body's being sanctified. Let's look at just two simple lists. I am not going to go into detail, but look at the two. On the left and on the right. The kind of things that speak of wasting our body or using our body well. Holy are the feet that carry God's message. Holy are the hands that give a cup of water to a thirsty man. Holy are the ears that hear the cries of the needy. Holy is the eye that sees the world as Jesus sees it. Holy are the lips that speak good news. Holy is the mouth that speaks no deceit. What about our bodies? Are they consecrated to God? Romans 6 calls for believers to present various parts of the body as weapons of righteousness. It's what Romans 12 means when it calls you present your body as a living sacrifice. God has your body, he's got you because you can't go anywhere without your body. The soul. This is the seat of the personality. It's what the Bible calls the heart often. It refers to our emotions, our desires, the self-conscious part of our personality. What about yourself? Do you actively consecrate it to God? Have you yielded your thought life to God? What about your imagination, your dreams, your secret desires, your idle speculations, your ambition, your emotions, your goals and your priorities in life? Have you sanctified those? And then we have the spirit, the third part, the final part that ties us all together to God. It's through the Spirit we communicate with God in prayer and worship. Our Spirit enables us to pray, to sing, to understand God's Word, to meditate, to feed on God's Word, to fight spiritual warfare, to fight battles, overcome the evil one, and draw near to God day by night. Without exercise of our Spirit, we're animals with no connection to God whatsoever. Fourth P, position. Our position is one word, blameless. This little word comes from the legal arena. It means to be acquitted in a court of law. You're blameless if no one can bring a charge against you. That's not true about most of us now. Our friends and family who know us best know our weaknesses, know our guilt. God's goal is when before we stand before him, he'll say, does anyone in the whole universe know any reason why this person shouldn't enter heaven. And at that point, there will be loud silence. There's no one, not the angels, not the demons, not the saints, not the sinners, no one in the universe will be able to bring any charge against us. It's like that awkward bit in the legal bit that's got to be said in an a English wedding, British wedding. And everyone hopes the mad uncle Tony at the back isn't going to leap up and say something embarrassing when the vicar asks if anyone knows any reason why The couple shouldn't be joined together in holy matrimony. On that day in heaven, there'll be no Mad Uncle Tony. No one will be able to level any charge against us because God himself has declared us righteous. The Good News Bible says God will sanctify us so that we're free from every fault. Another phrase is spotless integrity. It's God's desire for his children. None of us achieve it in this life perfectly, better things are coming for the people of God. God. Christ has paid the price. When God looks at us in judgment, he sees Jesus and he declares us righteous. The point, fifth P, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's hope. When Jesus returns, two great things will happen to the believer. Our character will be revealed and our perfection will be completed. We're so far from this now. We seem to be making such slow progress. Do you get discouraged in your own life? I do. Do you ever stand in front of the mirror and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you not getting any better? Why are you still falling for the same rubbish that you fell for last year? Sometimes it feels like the Christian life's three steps forward and two steps back. Are you more like Jesus now than you were four years ago? Spiritual growth can be very discouraging at times. A few weeks ago, the Chaos Club went for a walk up in the hills near Rothbury, and it was like every other hill I've climbed. The closer you get to the top, the further away the summit seems. But God has a reason for all of this. He wants us to depend on him for everything in life. He designed life so it only works when he's in total charge of everything. When we try and run the show, which we often do, things just fall apart. If The Christian life was left to us, it would fail. Only God can give us what we need to be victorious. And that's not defeatist, that's biblical. Can I, at this point, make a little plug for a resource I personally found hugely helpful in the last year or so? It's called Freedom in Christ. I know a few others have been through the course in this room and have found it hugely beneficial. I've been a Christian for 38 years. I've never stopped loving Jesus and striving for godliness. But it's not always see, easy seeing things from God's perspective. We're human. We make mistakes. Life takes chunks out of us. The world, the flesh, and the devil are conspiring against us. And that can manifest in all sorts of problems and issues. For me, it may come as a surprise to some in this room, but I've struggled with depression and anxiety for several years. There have been days where it's taken every last ounce of energy I possessed just to get out of bed in the morning. There have been times when I've fantasized about being dead. And I've driven to work and I've just sat in my car outside of sight of anyone who knew me and just fallen apart. And I've hidden that from work. And I've hidden that from people at church. I've hidden that from my family. But at the back end of last year, I was losing the ability to do that. But praise the Lord. Bible promises that Christ has come to give us life in abundance and preach freedom to the lost. And sometimes, though, even as a mature Christian, it's hard to connect the dots and make the connection to what we know to be true and how we feel inside. And that's where this, kind of, this material can help. It's not a magic wand, but it gently works through biblical truth. It's entirely biblical. It's a Bible study, basically. And what God has to say in your life when you become a Christian, it takes you through that, and it helps God's Word, and the truth take possession of the freedom that's your due inheritance as a child of god and it helps you make sense of things you've never realized have had an impact on you and understand the depth of god's love for you and the power available to you to overcome those things and take hold of that blessing that god does have in store for you all through solid no nonsense biblical teaching no mumbo jumbo and it's not a magic wand i said this. it's not a self help guide not a substitute for medical help or anything like that, but praise the Lord, thanks to the help I've received through studying the course and talking through it with others, just helps me process the stuff in a biblical way, in a godly way and I can say I've not succumbed to depression for over four months now and I've found a blessing in my life I've never experienced before in 38 years as a Christian. So I can recommend that wherever you are, but particularly if you're feeling stuck you're suffering with some blockage in your life or something that's happened in your past and it's preventing you move forwards and onwards and upwards in your spiritual life, please consider this course. I know others in the region have gone through it, some with bigger things, some with smaller things, and everyone has found it a huge benefit. So if you'd like to find out more, please have a word with Andy or I about the Freedom in Christ course. And if you want to look at it in private first without anyone else knowing, just Google Freedom in Christ or go to FICM.org.uk and have a little look at what it's about. Anyhow, plug over. Number six. Oh, got number five on twice, never mind. It's number six, really. It's the promise. The one who calls you is faithful. This little phrase is all important. It's a foundation for the doctrine of etor- eternal security. We like to say those who are saved are saved forever. How do we know it's true? We know it because God is faithful and He keeps His promise. Our entire hope, both in this life and in the life to come, rests on the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness bears the entire weight of our puny efforts. The one who calls you is faithful. We are the called of God. We're called the children of God. It's all we are right now. We're not finished. We're not glorified. We're not perfect. We're not complete. We're a work in progress. We aren't adults, we're spiritual children. Not yet fully grown. We're all under construction. God never stops his work because there's so much work that needs to be done. If you concentrate on your weakness, you lose your confidence. If you concentrate on God's faithfulness, you will grow in confidence. What makes us think that God will ever finish the job? In my mind's eye, I imagine God is a... One of the things I imagine God as is a sculptor. He's working on this rough piece of marble with cracks and faults in it. And he's working on this big chunk called Paul Mullis. And it's a hard job because the chunk is badly marred. It's misshapen, it's discoloured, it's cracked in difficult places. And it's about the worst piece of marble a sculptor could ever find. But God's undeterred. And he's working patiently at his job. He chips away the bad parts. And he chisels an image into that stone. Hard stone. He stops occasionally to polish it a bit, here and there. And one day, he finally finishes one small section of the statue. And then next morning, when he returns to the studio, the section's messed up. I thought I'd finished that yesterday, he says. Who's been messing with my statue? And it turns out that I'm the culprit. I'm my own worst enemy. What I thought would improve things has actually messed them up again. But God is faithful. And he patiently picks up his chisel, and he goes back to work. And he won't quit halfway through the project. Psalm 138 verse 8 says this. It's a wonderful word we need to hear, we need to understand in our hearts. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. It's a promise, a cast iron promise, chiseled in marble and polished in gold. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Then we come to the sixth P, the performance. He will do it. Think of these four words. He will do it. They're simple. They're direct. No qualification. No hesitation. No doubt. Four simple words. He will do it. Not he might do it, or he could do it if he felt like it. He will do it. He will do it. What matters at the end of it all is not how strong my hold is on God, but how strong his hold is on me. Calvinism talks about the perseverance of the saints. By that, they mean that all true believers won't fall away, but will persevere until the end and be saved. And I believe that, but I don't like the title, because it puts the emphasis in the wrong place, in my humble opinion. The emphasis ought to be placed on what God will do, not on what we do. I believe in the the perseverance of God and the preservation of the saints. We are preserved because God perseveres. So this is the prayer that, God's pray- that Paul has prayed. Paul's asked for a great thing, that the Thessalonians are entirely sanctified in every part of their being when Jesus returns. And only God can do something like that. And God will do it because he's faithful. So let's just finish. Six points to ponder, quickly. First one. Let me suggest how the truth could affect us. It should give us enormous confidence in God. If you've doubted God, doubt don't, no longer. He's faithful and he'll keep his promise. He's ordained that someday you'll be like the Lord, be like Jesus inside and out. And he's working even now to make you a better person. Don't doubt his purpose, even though you can't see always what he's doing. And it gives us assurance of salvation. Sometimes we believe as we struggle with assurance because we don't feel saved. (coughs) Feeling has nothing to do with it. If you feel good, feel saved, that's great. We should be grateful. But if you don't feel saved, trust God to keep his word anyway. Salvation rests not on our fickle feelings, but the unchanging promise of the God who made them and who cannot lie. It ought to give us motivation to grow. After all, if God has said he's going to sanctify you, you can rest assured you will be sanctified. Whether you want to be or not, it's going to happen. Your only choice is whether or not you'll cooperate with God. Some of us get better slower than necessary because we fight against God's purpose in our life. We harbour wrong attitudes, lust, bitterness, pride, sloth, envy, all the rest. And then we wonder why it's taking us so long to get better. A little cooperation goes a long way in the area of sanctification. Number four, What to give us perseverance in prayer. Sometimes I think we stop praying two days before the answer's about to come. I know many Christians who have struggled for years with certain behavior patterns and then given up simply because they were so discouraged. But the text says God's always at work, moving us towards a time when we will be perfect in every respect. Even in this life, we can make huge progress as Christians. It's just sometimes the progress comes slowly and in small increments and spaced apart. So we ought to keep on praying, precisely because we believe God is at work, even when we don't see him. So keep on praying, and never give up. And that develops patience towards others. After all, if God isn't finished with you, he's not finished with them either. And if you want them to be patient with your weakness, you should expect the same from yourself. That's how it works. And finally, gratitude for every little step in the right direction. Some people want to fly before they can run, run before they can walk, walk before they can crawl. But that's rarely what happens in life. More often, our spiritual progress comes into tiny baby step after tiny baby step. It's little by little, day by day. We grow in the image of Jesus. So Let's take heart in every little step we take, in every bit of progress that our friends and our loved ones make as well. For each baby step comes only with the grace of the hands of a loving father who's at work in ways we can't see and can't even imagine. We're going to be all right someday. God has called us to a life of holiness. He's opened the door because he sent his son as payment for our sins. He started a good work in us by inclining us to believe the gospel. He continues his sanctifying purpose in us every day. He's decreed we'll someday turn out all right. We'll be complete in the end. Right now we're not all right. Some of us feel okay. Most of us feel partly right, partly wrong. None of us are completely right in all areas of By God's grace, we're moving in that direction. And in the end, we're going to make it by the grace of God. Why? Because God finishes what he starts. Try the next slide. Place ourselves in God's hands. We may chafe, we may doubt, we may despair of any progress at all. We may be angry and give up. But God doesn't change. He's faithful. He will do it. What's left for us to do? Simply place ourselves in God's hands. Cooperate with a master designer as he shapes us into the image of Jesus. Say, Lord, here am I. Make me what you want me to be. Your standing in life doesn't matter. Businessman or woman, student, mother, at home raising children, teacher, nurse, doctor, builder, civil servant, professor, secretary, salesperson, Postman, manager, shop assistant, plumber, unemployed, on the sick. Don't care. It doesn't matter. God is at work in your life where you are. He'll not stop until the job is done. So let's, will you join me in saying this? Lord, here am I. Make me what you want me to be, and I'll get out of the way. That's a prayer God will always be pleased to answer. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning as worthless individuals in ourselves, only having worth because of the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus. We know you are our only hope. Aside from your redeeming grace, we're cast adrift from you forever. So we pray you'll shine your light in our hearts. Bring us step by step, inch by inch, chisel cut, chisel cut closer to you many here this morning who don't know you for who you are. Our personal Savior. We pray you'll make yourself known and in love convict them of sin. Bring them to your presence and bring them into your loving arms. We ask it in Jesus' name.